Welcome one, welcome all, and welcome back to the 22nd episode of the Transform Your Game podcast. My name is Richard, and I'll be manning the helm as your host and moderator here today. Alongside me are two of my three co-hosts that are more than meets the eye, Kent. All hail Megatron. And Kai. The way of the samurai is found in death. Joel is absent this week. Uh, Real-life demands really do get in the way from time to time, but we miss him and his hey there just as much as all y'all listening do. Uh, Now, I bet I'm not wrong in guessing that there's some of you out there that are also realizing that, hey, didn't you guys introduce a fifth member of your team last week? Where's Matt? What gives? He's both funnier and better looking than your current moderator. Uh, (laughs) Well, (laughs) while your estimation of our esteemed newest member in the ranks is accurately high, uh, Matt is pretty busy in regard to just life in general right now, college and all that jazz. He'll swap in for one of us, uh, you know, every so often. So you'll get to hear an even broader array of perspectives at those times, which is something that's great, right? It's more inform- more information. Um, in the meantime, we get to keep his insight and creativity all to ourselves in our group chats. Uh, <laughs> what you do get, however, dear listeners, is just about everything, the three or four of us, depending on how many people can make it in a week, you know, uh, that we can muster in regard to the topics we cover both today and every episode from here on out. And the past ones, not leaving those out. Uh, we do hope that that suffices while you await Matt's glorious return in the not-too-far future, and Joel's as well. Uh, first up in housekeeping, the annual Extra Life campaign has been active and kicking for a little while now, and they've already raised a solid amount, I think it was like uh, $1,200 or $1,400 last time I checked, uh, for the Children's Miracle Network of Hospitals. We did, uh, you know, we announced this last week, kind of broadcast it to you guys, and uh, many of you have probably already you know, heard it mentioned somewhere or another already, uh, but the team over at Arbitrary Hero, who incidentally also create content for the Transformers TCG that we all love so much, uh, holds this drive annually as a way to help members of the gaming community, like ourselves, give back a little, often by just engaging with the type of things that we already enjoy. If you feel compelled to help, give what you can. Every little bit helps. Uh, all right, next up on the agenda, in a bit of tournament news, the team over at VectorSigma.info is actually hosting a Wave 5 Constructed Tournament for their tournament to your patrons. Both Kai and I will be participating in what looks to be somewhere around like a 32-man field uh, with some serious competition battling it out. Now, Kai, if I can address you for a minute, uh, both you and I already queued for the upcoming uh, like quarterly invitational, like every every um, the first couple events qualify top finishers for. However, both of us are playing in this event anyway. Don't worry, listeners. Um, if we do end up finishing well, our invites are going to pass down to whoever is in the next set of people. Um, so I just want to ask you, Kai, what's your motivation for participating, and what do you hope to get out of the tournament itself? Uh, mainly just to prove that I'm a consistent topper. Like, I <laughs> I did well at Gen Con, figuratively speaking, because I, I queued at the top first Swiss or whatever, got top 8 at that, and then I got only got top 32 at Gen Con, which is still good, but not what I wanted. But, uh, yeah, I'm just looking to expand my repertoire of tops, basically. Don't forget PPT Dallas, my friend. You took that yes, down. Yes, yes, I did take that down. Um, but then I didn't do anything at EI, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, in your defense, you were trying to play Soundwave, and Soundwave is bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, for me, honestly, like, I think I mentioned this before, um, I didn't know there was any kind of prizes for this. Uh, I really was joining the tournament tier and trying to play in these because I miss competition so badly. 
Um, I didn't. I don't think I realized how much in my day to day like life, I tried to compete in things as a way of both of satisfaction and engaging my brain, challenging myself. And um, I was looking through like the list of the first uh, tournament that they held, and it was a lot of people who have either played or have watched play, and are some really awesome competitors uh, and good people overall. Um, and I was, I just thought that that was something that I really wanted to get in on, um, help keep myself sharp, you know, so I can both pass on insights to the people listening at home, and that I can help, uh, you know, us secretly break the format in our <laughs> behind our closed doors, behind our, our iron curtain um, of secrecy. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, speaking of tournaments and recaps and such, Kai and I actually did record a rundown of us thinking through and building our top eight pools from the aforementioned sealed tournament that we just played in. Uh, you can go check that out over on our YouTube channel. Also by the same name as the cast and stuff like that, transformgame.net. Uh, but hopefully you'll be able to glean some valuable insights from our discussion there. I know it was a blast to film, and I also know that both of us misbuilt our pools. <laughs> <laughs> such is, such like, is the case. I know. By like one or two cards. But I mean, everything matters, right? Yeah. Um, that's honestly everything we've got for housekeeping right now, other than reminding you guys out there that the new Transformers Netflix series releases July 30th. So just about two weeks from recording this. Can't um, wait. I know. It, it looks so sick. Um, I'm really pumped. Um, our topic for today is an expanded analysis of one key manner of approach that we as a team are using to attack what is thus far known as the Titan Masters Attack metagame. Pardon me. Uh, Kent, why don't you do the honors in kicking off the actual discussion? All right. Awesome. So last podcast, we talked a little bit about the three pillars of the metagame. The entire metagame is really centered around these uh, three bots, Sky Shadow, Perceptor, and Horrible. And many decks in the current format uh, revolve around one or more of those uh, three pillars being on your uh, either on your team or your opponent's team. We'll get into this later in the podcast, but Quake is quickly uh, starting to climb up there. There might be a fourth pillar uh, here pretty soon. Yeah, so um, just to go quickly over some of the characters, uh, we'll, I'll talk about Sky Shadow. So what Sky Shadow does well, uh, first off, he, ha he starts as two bots, and when one of them gets KO'd, you combine into the Sky Shadow uh, Titan Combiner duo titan master thing and uh <laughs> that, every that guy yeah <laughs> a mechanic. he's yeah. every mechanic in the game he's got fierce he's got bull he's got tough he's got titan master he's a combiner he's got a stratagem yep he's, he's got it all he's got the eight attack he's got the pierce four when he swings <sighs> he hurts and he does um, and he some, loves some... peace through tyranny yes yes just the next point that i was going to talk about uh <laughs> so peace through tyranny is a card that has always gotten stronger as the game has gone on first through wave three with uh battle masters being able to get extra attacks and a weapon and then now with titan masters where you could get an additional body from playing the piece of tyranny off of the titan master itself but when it comes to sky shadow you're not just getting a little uh dinky like one three attack bold one whatever bob you're getting a you're getting this eight attack bold two behemoth and and on top of that, you get a free bolt of lightning on Autobots, which is crazy good. So it's he just does all these things. And when he dies, because he's a Titan Master, he comes out, Ominous will pop out. And that's to Pierce 4, easily to get to <laughs> Pierce 4. So it's, mm -hmm. it's just a lot of fantastic, strong elements in this character, which think is what they were. 
Think about how many games you have won or lost by an ominous. Yes. I cannot count on my fingers. Fingers and toes, that's yeah, still and, not enough. Every not finger enough. and toe that's currently in this podcast, not enough. Not enough. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it, that, that, that guy is... I think he might be better than we're all giving him credit for. I think, like, we're spoiled at the three-star heads book just because of, like, Grax being so impressive. Mm. But, like, Ominous is no freaking slouch, man. Like, I think hitting that three-point threat, like, health threshold is important. Like, the fact that he's naturally wants to be aggressive. He's a relevant attack when he pops off. Okay, I'm not gonna... I'm not going to keep us here forever. I actually wanted to talk about one of the other pillars. I wanted to talk about Perceptor, affectionately known as Percy, um, and what he kind of does well as a pillar. So I wrote an article uh, not too long ago about analyzing the game through the lens of stages. Um, so if you're going to carry out a game to basically like the very, very late game stage, which is really just saying that, um, assuming that there, the number of turns is somewhere in the neighborhood of like 10 for each player, there is no better character than Perceptor in that long run, as long as you can get, keep him alive and well. Because uh, his scaling attack, his attack scales very rapidly over the course of the game, um, and as it does, uh, you're actually also giving yourself added knowledge of what's in your deck. Uh, so basically what you're seeing is, uh, you're seeing him capitalize on two resources. So he's improving your overall combat resource by having basically the best attacker in the long run that you could possibly have on your team. Um, he's also making sure that your hand stays full by using his flip ability. Now, by in doing so, he's really flip intensive, so you have to keep that in mind when building lineups around him. But functionally, there is no more inevitable character than Perceptor in the game. Um, and he's so efficient at doing that, he actually turns on and he becomes like a relevant, threatening character in the mid-game. He doesn't even have to wait until that really, really late stage game where you kind of set up an impenetrable, pardon me, an impenetrable wall, a la, um, let's say, like the old Jetfire decks from the previous wave. Perceptor gets you there basically in the middle part of the game. You're already at a point where um, thing, things are really starting to turn the corner. So I think that's one of the things that he really does well, and he kind of outshines other card advantage engines um, in this aspect. Well, and the last pillar, horrible, of course. I mean, the the talk of the town, <laughs> also among uh, Sky Shadow and Perceptor, and Ken's favorite card. Yeah, uh, <laughs> not really. Um, <laughs> I I just feel like he does too much for free. Um, just by playing the game, you get all this free damage, and it's like whatever your best character is. You know, let's subtract like five health of off of him before the game even starts because that's basically how you have to play around it with more and more horrible decks now running bashing shields for all the hollow matter projectors that have been popping up it's it's almost like this no no win scenario against horrible there's no way to really shut him off permanently what does horrible really do well though like, what makes him a pillar? What makes him a pillar is just, like, all this free damage just for playing the game. Oh, I played a RR Disruptor Blade or a Fusion Borer. Cool, take one. And now I'm playing uh, Rock Toss or Mag Ray or Precision Fire or Fight for Position. Cool, all right, take another one. And now I'm going to flip and that damage that horrible just took now i'm gonna move it to you and it's just he does too much i i feel like if 
he didn't have the flip ability to move damage or if it was only black upgrades that triggered him or black actions it would be way more fair but as it is for six stars it's just it's ridiculous you cannot keep your characters alive and i'm a big fan of direct damage and we're gonna go into more detail later in the podcast but it's it, it just feels like it's there's no real answer to it um reflect damage i think is incredible versus sky shadow not that great versus horrible um mm-hmm. and take cover since it's it doesn't have a a green pip on it you may never see that card you might have three copies you might play five games and might not ever get to play it maybe you never drew it things like that make horrible just uh, pretty crazy especially when he has uh, maybe his best partner which is grax he just gets to live for a long time the two defense also in alt mode is just like what you just can't it, it's just so hard to kill him yeah it's actually more to talk about all three of the pillars we've mentioned here so base so I don't know that we've talked about this much, but it seems to me that the characters who were powerful attackers um, have had a slight uptick in just the average base defense that they've been given. Yes. Have you guys noticed that too? Yes. Like, like Perceptor, both Sky Shadow pieces, horrible, all have two defense. Fangry has two defense. Quake has three defense <laughs> or defense in the mode that he's normally in, right? Like. That is just basically the the you know in the old thirteen seven five decks like they were oftentimes attacking with one if not two characters whose base attack was three, right? So like but those characters are basically like out of the format. You can't play them because they don't do any damage, right? Like you're doing one damage when you're attacking with no weapon. Like you better be two stars, you know? Like. I don't know. That's that's one of the other things that I, I wanted to point out is that characters with kind of like where it seems like their base defense is maybe a point higher than it probably should be is something to keep an eye out for because it's a way to kind of like um, I don't know to give to give you just like a slight 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 edge in mirrors of aggression. Um, okay, I think we're probably done just talking about the pillars, at least the old school pillars, right, Kai? <laughs> right. Yeah, we, we've got a new up and comer, Quake who is actually secretly my favorite uh, character from this set, but um, (laughs) that's besides the point. Uh, Quake is an interesting lineup because generally the most popular lineup we've seen with Quake currently um, is the, what we refer to as Remember the Titans, but it's basically uh, Quake with Grax, Fangry with Kreb, and then Horrible with Briscoe. Mm -hmm. And those are all the HP heads, and those are all the small Titan masses that you can play. So... It just basically combines into this six wide team quote-unquote six wide uh that is punching you really hard if you kill their characters and you get punished for playing the game by because quake just explodes everywhere um horrible doing his thing of course because you know but uh yeah it's what is this team lineup and what do they do who is your daddy and what does he do I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm, so I think like probably the thing that's most apparent is that they're re- it's really an orange deck, right? So like, um, Quake, Fangry, Horrible are all reasonably well statted on the attack side of things, 
right? Like I think it's it's four or five, uh, basically in every single mode. Unless you get down to like the point where it's just Quake and you flip him back to his uh, alt mode, and he's got six attack, which is pretty sick. Mm -hmm. um, but those characters all all have like you know basically the best cars attack <laughs> values already printed on them with better health pools and higher defense um, and better effects. Anyway, <laughs> but. Um, so that's probably what they do. They really like summarize as or under that category. But you have to play, you know, kind of like a requisite number of black pips to really maximize your horrible. It's part of your lineup. Um, even if you're really just guaranteeing that you trigger him once a turn uh, when you're actually playing up upgrades and actions, uh, that's still probably good enough just because of like the average output of damage that they have. The other thing that they, they do, you know, and you mentioned this actually when you're talking about the heads that they have, Kai, uh, but they're playing all the HP heads. So I don't know if people at home were doing math while we were talking about this, but uh, Quake with Grax is 13 HP, right? And then mm -hmm. Fang Fangry plus Kreb is another 13 HP. That's 26. Then you have Horrible with Briscoe. That's 12 more HP. So that's 38 HP base before the heads actually pop off. And the heads are plus three, plus five, and plus two, respectively, which is 10 more HP. That means this deck has 48 health on top of there being three stop gaps on the way there, which is an absolutely unfathomable amount of health, right? Even if we look at the deck that was previously already getting the most health in the game, which was uh, the Wave 4, uh, the EI Champion, right? With Flame War, who was 10, Galaxy Prime, who was 21, uh, and then the uh, Skydive, who's at 7 health, right? 8. 8, eight health. 8 health. Um, and then you would, if you were, you really suit them all the way up and you had three energy energy packs onto your Optimus Prime, you got to like 52 health. The difference between that, which is the absolute end game of a deck that was designed to maximize this, versus a deck that just kind of incidentally has a ton of health, is 4. And the 52 health deck doesn't have any stop gaps. Like, there's nothing preventing you from just, like, KOing all the way through a, a character's health pool. Or there is with Titan Masters. So those are the two things that they kind of do well, is they're, they're a pretty much dedicated orange deck with requisite black pips because there's not much opportunity cost to playing them. And then they kind of they like really lean into the how much health can I play on my team aspect of things. Well, and addition to all the health, one thing that they remember the Titans deck does so well is all of this direct damage and out of combat damage not, not only can they hit hard uh, especially Fangry uh, in combat but like you have the, all the quake triggers and horrible on top of that so I mean every single turn you're dealing tons and tons of direct damage and it can just spiral out of control so fast with the quake triggers I mean, and I want to mention too, like this was one of the first decks that Kai came up with in spoiler season. Like they had spoiled these three characters, Quake, Fangry, and Horrible. Mm -hmm. And literally that week uh, that the last one was spoiled, he brought this deck up to uh, Generation X, our local game store, and just annihilated me. <laughs> over and over and over and it was just like i can't i can't stop it um not only is there so much direct damage and not enough ways to combat that aspect of the game but 
there, I, I felt like I was playing against six characters. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I mean, it's naturally just six wide because of all the heads popping off. I mean, it's one thing when you have to deal with a Titan Master. Okay, they're three wide, but really they're four because um, after I kill their Titan Master, I got to deal with the head. Okay, well, now there's your three wide, but then there's three heads to deal with. Once you plow through all of that insane health, if you can, then you've got to deal with the attacks from the little guys too, more quake triggers because you're obviously not attacking with quake until you absolutely have to. You want that guy to be, you know, hidden behind a wall. Um, it's just, th- this deck is phenomenal and kudos to Kai. Uh, I've been thinking about this deck ever since he <laughs> started playing it back then and then we've tweaked it, tweaked it. And yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Okay, so we know that the Titans deck is does all these aspects of the other decks probably pretty well at attacking the three pillars. So um, what can we take from it to apply into uh, future decks? Well, uh, one of the things that we can do is um, take uh, an old example that we like to uh, constantly reference, uh, Burgos Bull. <laughs> so true. Um, <laughs> have we ever exactly. talked about that deck on this podcast? Only every single episode, including the one where we interview other people. <laughs> That's true. It was just so surprising. <laughs> I think we're just so impressed by it forever and ever. Yeah. yeah. He's just a cool dude. Like, David's yeah. just so cool that I don't mind giving him clout every single time we, we go on this thing. Agree. Personally. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you, Kai. I know you were in the middle of something. No, you're good. Back on topic. Stay on target. We're too close. Stay on target. Uh, so Burgers Bold, if you don't know, is an orange-black aggro deck where basically every time you swung with a character, you were swinging for 6 pierce 6 or 8 pierce 8. You were basically trying to match attack with pierce to get guaranteed damage. And um, at the time when it was uh, originally revealed at uh, TPT Orlando, uh david told us that it was one of the worst one of the worst matchups for that deck is the fact that uh it actually falls prey to real aggro decks quote unquote like bugs or airstrike patrol so taking that into consideration we have basically this shell that can run orange like pure orange with black sprinkled in or orange black and you have the six wide so there's really no way for you to get more than six wide in this game so being having that type of uh, aggression in the six wide deck is just really strong and being able to lend itself to more um, aggressiveness because every time a kill occurs on your side of the field or your opponent quake is quaking so um, it basically means every attacker on your side and your opponent's side becomes relevant all of a sudden and it, it just gets real really crazy and nuts I totally agree um you know, one of the things I think we, we kind of mentioned that I, I kind of mentioned this in the in the last segment, but I, I want to talk about the fact that like the principle of what Quake the builds of Quake are trying to do is they're trying to maximize the average attack or average really average damage per character across the lineup and the average HP across the lineup. So um, the characters are not like the absolute best attackers for their stars. That's just not what they are, right? Um, I think people were afraid that Fangru was going to be such when he was first revealed. And you're like, oh my god, everyone has a an 8-star or a 12-star or, you know, 
on their team, but not anymore. Everyone's seven stars, so he never has full two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so what I was trying to say with this is that uh, basically, like, these characters are solid attackers, but they're not the best attackers. Here's the kicker, though. They're solid attackers who basically, across the lineup, with the exception of Fangry, have access to incidental non-attack damage that they deal to all the opposing characters whenever, basically, basically at will for just playing the game. They have all this incidental damage built into, um, to borrow a, a word from, uh, if you haven't been playing a lot of League of Legends, to, built into their kit, right? like into like the totality of their characters. Um, and so like the damage per character that you're actually dealing out is really, really high. And on top of that, we already addressed the fact that they have incredible HP, right? Like they have a 48 HP health pool with three stop gaps included, and they're utilizing their own health as a resource because of the fact they have these non-attack damage triggers that are supposedly symmetrical. But since they have higher health pools, um, and because they're choosing where the damage is going a lot of the time, they're breaking the symmetry on those actual effects. Um, on top of the fact that Horrible literally kind of heals himself over the course of the game, um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but, you know, I think what we can take from this, uh, on top of the fact that these characters have naturally high defenses, like I mentioned, they're pushed to two and three, uh, pretty much across the board, is that characters are getting diminishing returns on defense. So if, if diminishing returns on defense are something we're seeing, that means the actual axis that you're trying to improve on to be a better deck in a metagame is the attack HP axis per star, right? So the efficiency in number of stats of both attack, like average damage output per star of the character and average HP per star of the character. I've mentioned before that one of the things I'm interested in using or trying to, to find a place for in this metagame is the idea of a deck that plays Fangry with Grax as the head. Because that in and of itself gives you a 9-star character with 16 health, which is unprecedented in the history of the game thus far. There is no character who is better per star for health. The thing about that is you need to find characters that complement him and you need to make sure you set up your deck in a way where you are actually trying to make sure that since you've naturally leaned on the health aspect of your team, that you are being able to generate damage through the cards in your battle deck. You're playing things like um, uh, head-on collision, leap into battle, or grenade launcher, reckless charge. Like you're you're dedicated to pumping out damage with both your upgrade play and your action in your action play. Um, and you're probably going to have to include examples of non-attack damage that the horrible deck doesn't have to play. I, I mean, like you'll probably have to be including one shall stands, one shall falls, because you're leaning into health. So you're going to be having to do things like. Uh, you know, break the symmetry on how much damage you're being, is being dealt to your own team. Those are the type of things you're trying to maximize, the axes that you're trying to operate on. You're trying to literally optimize for the attack HP per star efficiency of your character lineup. Was that a mouthful? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a bit, but it all makes sense and uh, well-spoken. And let's not forget, like, this deck plays horrible. It's not just a Quake deck, though I do feel that Quake is the centerpiece of Remember the Titans. But, like, with the three pillars, you know, Sky Shadow, Perceptor, and Horrible, 
like horrible is going to give you the uh the maximum bang for your buck in direct damage even maybe more so than sky shadow but the like sky shadow horrible deck the ss bull it's really a sky shadow deck it's focused around that character and horrible is just there to kind of like ping all your guys out of the way and make it really difficult for you to deal with the sky shadow plane pierce and then the pierce from fusion borer and then the other black pips that just get flipped naturally through battle and then the sky shadow perceptor deck or what we call the ss percy like you're just digging for that peace through tyranny and other powerful cards it's, it's very much a toolbox deck whatever you know you need in that situation and then if you can get the extra turn from peace through tyranny yeah it's probably game over <laughs> The Percy Pounce deck, uh, which is Perceptor Pounce and Night Racer, is also really it's centered around Perceptor and just maximizing what you can do with all that card draw and like, hey, almost half the deck is secret actions. And then you're getting to play, you know, more and more of them. Um, and that enhances Pounce, that enhances Night Racer, helps you protect all of them because Pounce does not have a ton of health. And Perceptor, <laughs> of course, the longer you keep that guy around, it's just, it, it, again, it's that cascading inevitability that Richard was talking about, where if you don't kill that guy quick, it's gonna get real nasty. Quake is a true and dedicated horrible deck but I feel like Quake kind of is the the central character just because he's the one that you're wanting to protect. He's the one that's like all this damage just over and over and over and over. And you, hey, you might get lucky and play one of your three take covers in that game. All right. You, you, you stop the onslaught of, of madness for a turn. But what are you going to do the next turn and the next and the next and it just feels like that deck is so good about wiping the board so quickly and kai could you refresh us on what the ruling is with quake and uh his damage and how that works with the heads popping off and triggers yes so um basically the game works in uh you have to resolve all of the active players triggers first so if you're the active player and you have quake Let's say you swung into their opposing Fangry or something. So it would be your triggers, and you kill the Fangry, of course. Uh, you kill, um, <laughs> of course. So you kill the Fangry. You get the the Quake trigger and the head trigger of uh, Fangry on the opposing team also has a trigger. So you would basically have to resolve Quake first as you are active player. Um, if if it was the other way where if they kill, if they did like PTT or something on Fangry while you have Quake in body mode, then they would have to resolve their head trigger first and deploy the head and then Quake would trigger. So it is basically like if you're the active player, you have to resolve all your triggers. And uh, there are more complex scenarios on top of that, such as if you have a head trigger and your character is dying, then it's like you can do all your Quake stuff first and then deploy the heads. And yeah, it. it gets really confusing really quickly but basically just remember you have to resolve all active player triggers first and just take it slow because this thing can get very confusing really quickly 
Ask your friends. Use your lifelines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I play a lot of games in my head, and this deck is definitely something that taxes that ability. <laughs> and, <laughs> because there's just so many things that can happen and go certain ways depending on uh, the different outcomes of what you and your opponent are doing. And, and what's so great about this deck, I mean, we all know that Horrible is kind of busted, right? And it really just amplifies all the non-attack damage. Um, also, while being able to hit with uh, Quake's body mode, which what is another thing that's really, really cool about Quake is that he, then if he's the last guy standing, all right, let's transform this dude back into alt mode. And now he gets a bonus. <laughs> I mean, like, it's like they gave the character everything. Yeah, I just, I, one of the, I, before I move on to the next thing, I really just want to say, like, I think it's so interesting that the Quake deck, I think we all agree, like, the Remember the Titans is a Quake deck, but the fact that, like, it's really inspired by the idea of maximizing the types of play patterns that Horrible, like, incentivizes, right? Like, it's just leaning into the, how do we double up on the non-attack damage theme? And it turns out that Quake is just a better centerpiece than Horrible is in that shell, which I think is really interesting. Um, anyway, um, I, I think the next thing we want to talk about really is we've talked about the principles of what the metagame is. We've talked about the, you know, what like the first step of what I think what we would call like the first evolution of the metagame has shown us about like what types of things can be used to tackle the metagame as it exists. So I think that what we need to do next is ask ourselves how can we use this, right? The idea of maximizing on the axis of attack and HP per star as a point of efficiency is a way to attack this metagame. The idea of being a better true aggro deck is an angle of attack to this metagame. And the idea of finding better ways to capitalize or to optimize on the unique strengths of each of the three pillars or four pillars, depending on how you view Quake, um, is another way that you can do this. So guys, given what we've talked about today, given those points, what would you be playing in a tournament tomorrow, a competitive level tournament tomorrow? Uh, so I actually have two front runners in this scenario because so we we've, we've discussed that these decks are basically they're aiming to be as wide as possible while being as aggressive as possible outside of maybe SS Percy and Percy Pounce. But um, uh, those decks are in a different shell that you will talk about we could talk about in a little bit but um basically so the 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 pillars uh horrible and sky shadow and aggressive percy decks for this sake uh they they want to be six wide as much as possible so using using that to our advantage we can play i have an, an airstrike patrol deck that i i really like it's joel has actually posted an article on it and that was the first iteration of where that idea came from but basically this idea would be where you're playing uh 12 double oranges because you're playing night racer you're playing her stratagem you're playing um villainous spotlight and then you're playing uh tailwind night flight and fangry with kreb and then that actually gives you two extra star cards to play on top of the four <laughs> other star cards that you have so you're playing six six extra double oranges so all your characters can swing for massive amounts of damage just out of narrow nowhere with even like bold one from night racer or from a uh, focus fire a singleton focus Single, fire. yes even that too <laughs> but what's cool about this deck is you can actually transform that onto its tail by 
siding into six wide. So to do that, you basically just take out the stratagem, both stratagems, you take out the two extra um, star cards, and you would have to also take out the other star cards because you can't legally play them anymore. And then you would side into Stormcloud, and that would basically allow you to be a six wide deck to compete onto the same level as uh, Quake or Horrible on those fronts. And because you're also Airstrike Patrol, you have triple oranges, so you can basically out aggro them in the sense of being six wide as well. You just don't have the uh, stop gaps that they have with the HP pools and whatnot. Um, another deck that I'm also considering is the the Blaster deck. And specifically, um, the version I'm playing has Wind Charger, but you can also play Fangry. And I think Fangry might be better for this current metagame because uh, being able to swing uh, into whatever character you want for turn one, while also getting a potential extra card to pump that Fangry's uh, attack because you flip Blaster and deploy Ramhorn, you get to play the top card of your deck. So if you get something relevant like Supercharge or Reckless Charge, uh, you're swinging, so let's say Reckless Charge, you're swinging with eight, bold, three, turn one <laughs> into their centerpiece character and it's that centerpiece character probably might die. And if not, then you you have one shell stands and Kami crashes in the deck to help finish it off. So those two types of decks, while the blast deck isn't four isn't six wide, it's actually four wide. It plays into the uh, HP side of things where your two of your characters are protected from direct damage at the start of the game because blaster they start into blaster. So you're preserving some HP that way, but also the blaster extra flips basically make up for. Um, the lack of width by just making sure you kill characters immediately. So those are the two front runners, a bit rambly, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think my response is going to be much shorter than that, but I, I actually really would play uh, Remember the Titans at this point. I'm not sure how popular as a, a deck archetype it is quite yet. I think it's, uh, pro I know people are talking about Quake here and there, I'm sure that people are right on the cusp if they're not there already. Uh, but I really like that deck so much, and I am not an aggro player. And one of the things I want to say is Watsi and the development team for this game need to be commended for building this deck archetype because I think in the past, one of the reasons why I haven't liked playing aggro in either Magic or this game is because it doesn't require me to think about anything. Draw a card, play it. Draw a card, play it. Attack, attack. I mean, like, it just... it That's not fun for me. And this deck makes you think. You need to think one, maybe two turns ahead, sometimes even three, to really get the full scope of what picture you want to paint on the battlefield on your first turn, your second, your third, your fourth, your fifth, and what what might your opponent do to stop it? Because the deck can really snowball quickly, but if you're not thinking about what the optimal play is on each turn with each card that you draw in each scenario, the, the deck can, I mean, it'll still be fine, it's still good, but I I believe the, the fact that it just requires you to think 
and not just mindlessly play the game is something that I really appreciate. I feel like this game is just getting better and better and better. And thank you, Wizards of the Coast, for making it that way. Yeah. So you, you go ahead, Kai. Go ahead. Yeah, I agree. I I really love that deck too. The only thing I'm wary of is we don't know how many people, how many other people are into the deck. And Quake Mirrors are very gross if you were not prepared for them. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, while, I, while, while I'm not saying that I'm not prepared for it, I don't want to subject myself to that if I don't have to. So that's why I didn't suggest uh, Quake as a potential deck. I think for me, one more reason I would play it too is I don't feel that there's solid answers to the deck. Like, again, uh, back to the take cover thing, you might never, you could have three copies, might not ever play it. Okay, you're running Hollow Matter, cool, Bastion Shield, and what about your other characters? Because they're all taking one also. There's just not a lot of solid answers to this deck, and that is also uh, a reason that I would consider playing it. The, the only answer is try and out-aggro them. Okay, you can try to flip all those double oranges or bold a million with your guys, but your characters have so much health yeah, with, with that 48 health total, I, I mean, that's really hard to do. And then, even if you do kill one of their guys, and you're not going to kill Quake because they're not going to expose Quake, then you're playing their game anyway <laughs> of KOing characters and now getting all these Quake triggers. So it's kind of uh, danged if you do, danged if you don't. So that's something I really like about this deck archetype. Yeah, I can. I, I think the Quake deck is super interesting, right? Like, Kai and I started building it at, like around the same time. I think we even had, uh, I think we posted lists in the same uh, Google Sheet workbook mm -hmm. in our Google Drive, like it, within like two or three days of each other, and um, a couple lists leaning more orange, a couple lists leaning more black, but ultimately like they're operating on the same idea. Um, I've loved it since since even then. It's really fun, um, and it feels really powerful. I think as far as like decks I would actually take the here though, um, you know, in all honesty, I think that I might still consider Sky Shadow Bowl. I think I still might consider the deck that we've internally called incredible for <laughs> a really long time. Um, I think that deck is just super solid. I've got a couple of, li of builds of it that I'm really happy with, with a couple of uh, inclusions that I, I haven't seen people use that I think are maybe kind of necessary to combat the things you're starting to see come out of other of other decks. Um, I also am interested in the Air, Airstrike Patrol deck that Kai was talking about. He and I played a couple of test games of that deck the other day, and it looked really, really solid. Um, it, uh, it, looks, it just looks like a deck that is powerful in a way that is kind of unique. Um, I am a little wary of the vulnerability of Tailwind, because once Tailwind is dead, uh, your night flight is the most useless piece of garbage cardboard you've ever seen in your entire <laughs> life. It's horrible. Um, no, it's not horrible. Horrible's good in this game. Anyway, um, the last deck that I'm interested in considering is an aggressive SS Percy list. So like one that's slanted orange, like uh, the one that um, one of the ones that was originally being popularized by uh, uh, Stefan Pinkney, you know, DefTF, S. Dot. Uh, the man himself, 
He was playing pretty early on in the game uh, some orange slanted SS Percy decks that would have a couple of blues in them, you know, some end hostilities, maybe like the sturdy armor here and there, uh, stuff like that. And I think that's something that's really interesting to consider. Um, those are those are the three decks that are kind of like my, my front runners right now. I wanted to make Heal Optimus work, but as Kai proved to me in our testing very recently, I don't have it. I don't have. I don't. Maybe there's a list out there with him, but I can't. I haven't found it. So, yeah, make that, of that what you will. Oh yeah, I think that character just needs more cards for a repair focus deck to really work. Uh, I mean, I get just to echo what you said. Maybe there's a list out there now, but it feels like he just doesn't have all the tools to really make it a tier one deck at this mm -hmm. point. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that'll bring us to our viewer question for the week, actually. Uh, so this week's viewer question isn't so much a direct take from my last post in the Facebook group. It's more of an amalgam of a common theme amongst the comments that were there or several of the comments that were there. Um, I'm probably not mentioning everyone who said something to this effect, but uh, thanks to go out to uh, Michael Wadsworth, Michael Jundy, Max Thompson, and likely even many more, be perfectly candid for the underlying theme that sparked this week's. Um, anyway, so the question is this. The advent of high-quality, low-opportunity-cost Black Pip cards in Wave 5 seems to spell an end for the blue heavy and tough decks of the prior metagame. Is this end one that will be hard to march back from, or does it signify a change in philosophy that must take, cha must take place for blue-based decks in the future? Yeah, so... It's the latter. Like, there's no question about it. With all the pierce and all the direct damage, and of course, belligerence, uh, there, you, there's no way you're there's no way you're not taking damage anymore. There's no way you can just turtle around and just chip six, chip six, chip six. You can't do that anymore. You basically have to utilize as much of the blue that you're flipping into aggressive power that basically allows you to outpace your opponent. So things like leap into battle, um, pounce, crankcase bigger they are, those types of things where you get big, beefy attackers, but also a sizable amount of defense. Um, those are the routes you need to take if you want to take a blue-centric deck out into uh, the world as we see it <laughs> currently. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's something we can't march back because, honestly, Wave 6 could just change everything and just make blue strong again because... Remember, wave three and four came with secret actions, and during those waves, those cards were uninteractable in any way, shape, or form. So, something like that could happen. I don't, I don't know. I don't know the details, but yeah, it's, it's basically you just have to change the way you play blue decks from now, and you can't just turtle. You can't hide behind your castle. You have to actually shoot the cannons, and you have to actually kill things. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the issue is is there's not enough cannons to really shoot outside of pounce. I mean, like that guy can attack for a lot. However, that takes a little bit of time and resources to build into that. And then you're not really able, you can't defend a 12 life character for very long. You might get two swings with that guy. The format is so aggressive in between counter espionage and belligerence and the direct damage and just hey here's a lot of bold with a lot of black pips i mean blue is definitely neutered 
And I think it's going to take wave six to kind of bring it back. I, I don't know that we've seen any top tier blue deck, at least not from us and not from anyone else. There's, you know, some good shells out there and all that, but I don't know that they can really battle against the four pillars. It's too much. It's it's too overwhelming. I think blue just needs some more tools. It need like stable cover is great, but it being a blank is uh, really tar- really hard on them. Um, hiding spot, like, hey, pierce my other guy, maybe. Uh, great, but it's a blank <laughs> again, so... It's not a blank. Those are black pip cards. Yeah, no, I get it, but when I say blank, I mean uh, not, not that it doesn't... Yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have a blue uh, pip because that's the significant pip color. And, okay, like, you're playing that, all right. And now I'm playing Autobot, so I need at least one Reflect Damage floating around in there to try and take out Sky Shadow so he doesn't get to hit me with the big guy. Okay, there's another blank. And, you know, I feel like you have Night Racer and some other cards that like these secret actions, but you don't have the blue pips to help defend anything so blue is easily the weakest color right now um out of the three just it it can't really hold up it just doesn't have the the tools like you can't hide behind your castle because the the stone wall of your castle is made of mud and they just like blow right through it it doesn't it doesn't even matter It'd be really cool to see a secret action that had a blue pip that was a stable cover without the defense bonus on it. Or a blue pip that minus three pierce to your opponent, or you don't take direct damage this turn, one of your characters doesn't, or something like that. Something that gave you more options because it also feels like if you don't have the exact right secret action at the exact right time, well, these decks are just going to run over you. They're too aggro, and they're, there's too much direct damage. There's too much pierce, so you can't block it. And all the while you're trying to play blue, how are you attacking them for as much? As we were already talking about earlier in the podcast, you have all these new aggressive characters that have like a natural two defense and higher health well (laughs) you're not attacking for enough because you're a blue deck already so i think that makes it really difficult to 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 make it work with blue right now wave six could change everything and i hope it does it's interesting to see some of the new deck archetypes uh, form up in Wave 5, and I think Titan Master's Attack is easily the most interesting set that they've ever put out. It's it's pretty brilliant <laughs> the way they've made it, and I can't wait for Wave 6 and hopefully a return to blue being at least equal with uh, black <laughs> and orange, because right now it definitely is not. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, do, I do want to put a disclaimer, though. Um, we're, we have all, so all three of us, we've played in tournaments before and we have all at least top eight in one tournament with a blue deck. So it's True. not impossible, but it's there. It's very hard. It's very grindy. And if you misplay once, you could probably just be out of the top cut. I know I have been, I played multiple tournaments with blue decks and I just misplayed and it was, it was just over. So it's, it's really punishing. I yeah. Agree. yeah. I mean, yeah it's, it's, it's very, very aggressive and very fast. So you need to know how 
you're you're gonna tackle it from both a deck building point and a playing aspect of it so you got to know your matchups really Mm -hmm. well Mm -hmm. and and it does feel like cards like peace through tyranny you know hey i might i know this matchup really 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 well but if they play peace through tyranny and get biggie sky shadow out in his combined form i'm probably gonna lose and like that that's just that's another reason not to play blue it's like ah, they they draw their piece of tyranny and might just lose because uh, <laughs> you can't you can't stop it. People are like, oh, you can play infiltrate. Well, cool. Yeah, you better have infiltrate down at the exact time that they play piece through tyranny. Yeah, I guess it could work that way, but that's probably not likely to happen. So you just gotta have spy master's ruse too. It's that easy. Yeah, yeah. you only need two cards. <laughs> yeah, you only need you only need two cards and to have them early enough in the game that it matters. That's exactly. It. Um, so I, I, you know, uncharacteristically for me, I think I'm going to have a pretty short response here. I think most people are probably anticipating me talking for you know the next 20 minutes or so, but um, I think it's the latter too. I don't think it's impossible to march back from. First of all, we don't know what kind of tools Watsi has available to them in order to remedy things that we might see as problematic gameplay patterns or unfun gameplay patterns. Um, my only worry is that the thing that they're intending to do is continue this like spike in HP, right? Because I think if you like map the game over time, you'll see that the average HP per character has like marched upward, which I think was necessary, but I'm worried about it being a continuing trend for too long because I think you can approach pretty dangerous levels and there are certain characters who are already kind of doing so. Um, Regardless of that, I think that the change of velocity just has to be, but you really need to be, I mean, we talked about this for forever, right? That like, you can't play really control anymore. You can play mid-range. I think the advent of Percy being a pretty much a centerpiece character in all of the blue decks that have had success in this wave, or even a moderate amount of success in this wave, is pretty exemplary of this. Because what Percy does is he functions as an engine piece in your deck by being a character who is a relevant attacker and a card advantage engine. But he does so at a lower star cost than basically every other character who has served that purpose in the game up to this point, except for Cliff Jumper, Renegade Warrior, who is who has two faults. One, he's an Autobot. <laughs> two, he has low health for eight stars. When he was first printed, he had incredible health for eight stars. But as the game has marched onward, his health bar has been rendered a little bit less optimal, a little more obsolete, right? So um, and the fact he also makes you play cars, which aren't necessarily the best archetype otherwise. Um, so I think those are the things you really have to do is you have to lean on damage. You can't play control, play mid range. Tough is fine if it's inborn on your characters, but you shouldn't be playing any armors or actions that are really granting it outside of maybe hidden fortification in the sideboard if you're running into blue mirrors of all things. Um, but those are my pieces of advice is just evolve. We'll get through this. We'll get through this dirtily, players, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I-, I think that'll bring us to the close of episode 22 of the Transforming Game podcast. Uh, we've got actually got three shout-outs this week. Uh, one, first and most importantly, to you, the listeners at home, for continuing to give us reason to try and cover as much as we can with a competitive point of view in regard to the TFTCG strategy kind of like world. Two, to uh, our absent member, Joel, we miss you dearly. Your hey there's and world jokes will not be 
you know, present in this episode, but I'm sure you'll make up for it in the next one. And number three, to our newest member, Matthew Brower, who didn't join us today, but who is absolutely here in spirit, uh, and I'm sure we'll cycle in not too long. Uh, seriously, though, we here at the Transformer Game uh, greatly appreciate all of you out there in the ether listening, whatever platform you're on. You can find our other episodes and more down the line on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever your podcast needs get met. There will certainly be some links in the description for you to help you out there. And if you found the input information here valuable, you can find more strategy, analysis, tournament reports, and more like it at transformergame.net. We look forward to being back to speak to all y'all next week. But until that time, clear eyes, flip bots, can't lose. <laughs>